So, Father, we thank you for this evening, and, Father, we thank you for uh, the word of God that you've given to us. Father, it's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of all that we believe. And, Father, it's also the foundation of all that we know about you. And so, Father, we thank you that your spirit will reveal your word to us to give us insight and revelation to teach and to instruct us, Father. And we depend entirely upon him. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open up to a brand new place here this evening. We're going to open up to the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to start our um, uh, teaching on Philippians. Of course, Philippians is, uh, uh, well, it's just four chapters in the book there. And so, uh, as we did with uh, Galatians and Ephesians, we'll just give you a little bit of background on the, uh, uh, the book of Philippians and, uh, uh, and the city that Paul wrote this to. So, of course, uh, Philippians is written to the... Uh, city of Philippi so there was a church at Philippi uh, and so Paul wrote uh, this letter to that church and so if you remember when we talked about Galatians Galatians is in a specific city it's a region uh, made up of several cities uh, and so but uh, but Ephesus is a specific city uh, and so Philippi uh, in today's world is kind of on the back side or the east side of Greece so if you go to the Mediterranean Ocean or Mediterranean Sea, and then uh, draw a line north, uh, you, you may hit Greece, and if you do, then you'll get close to Philippi. Uh, and so uh, Paul, Paul wrote this book to them, and so it's a short book there, uh, but really the whole book is kind of a thank you letter to the church at, uh, at Philippi for helping Paul uh, in his work there. And so he spends uh, quite a bit of time talking about... Um, uh, what they've done for him and what they were attempting to do for him uh, and really just thanking him for some things for being Paul that, that he is. He also, you know, had to add a little bit of adjustment to them, right? Hey, you all need to straighten up in this kind of area there as well there. So, uh, but, uh, you know, if you remember, uh, and, you know, we're not trying to make this a church history uh, class or anything, uh, but Paul went on several missionary journeys, I think three major missionary journeys that we know of that were recorded uh, before he uh, ended up at Rome, uh, then eventually ended his life there in Rome. But uh, he he had, uh, in, in fact, let's let's uh, um, uh, let's turn over to Acts chapter sixteen. So I just wanted to show you where uh, Philippians were so it was there, so you know where it's at. But we're going to start in, in Acts chapter sixteen. Um, and so and so. Um, uh, he visited him the first time on his uh, second missionary journey uh, and then also on his third missionary journey. So he, he visited him a couple of times there. Uh, and, um, uh, of course, we know that when Paul actually wrote the letter, uh, he was in jail when he, when he wrote the letter there, which is uh, kind of helpful to know that because some of the things Paul says in the book of Philippians, rejoice evermore, right? And, again, I say rejoice, uh, things like that. You think, well, that's just, you know, it's easy for Paul to say that because he was a great missionary of the Lord and, you know, had a pretty good life. But he was writing that uh, when he was uh, in prison, right, in a Roman prison. Uh, and uh, for certain for certain prisoners, it was not uncommon. And this, as far as we know, was the situation with Paul wh where they wouldn't necessarily house him in a in a prison long term. Right. They'd throw him in jail for a while and figure out that he's a Roman soldier or a Roman um, uh, citizen. And then oftentimes they would just put him under house arrest so he couldn't move. But the way, you know, today, they, the way they do that, they put a GPS uh, ankle bracelet on you, right? And you, if you leave the house, they, somebody gets a, well, instead of uh, putting, you know, attaching an ankle bracelet to you, they attached a Roman soldier to you. And so you were handcuffed to a Roman soldier, you know, at your house. And so I don't know if they had shifts or whatever, you know, but um, uh, that'd be kind of uh, get awkward after you're eating and you got to take a, take a shower right and i mean it'd be uh, uh hand me the soap right i guess somebody's always there to hand you the soap right but uh, uh and so uh so that was the case with paul he was uh, really in house arrest uh as he was writing this particular letter there uh but uh philippians is kind of uh, interesting the way that paul uh the way that paul ended up there so uh, we're in in chapter uh 16 here in the book of uh um uh, the book of Acts here, A and um, I'm going to start reading here in, um, well, actually, I want to start reading in verse 1. 
It says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. So these are uh, cities in the area of Galatia. Uh, and behold, a certain disciple who was there, and, and Timotheus, the son of a certain, a certain what, a certain what, a certain woman, who was a Jewish, and he believed, but his father was a Greek. So, this is the first time that Paul met Timothy. Of course, Paul wrote two books to the uh, Timothy, uh, the books of First and Second Timothy in the New Testament, uh, and this is where he met Timothy uh, was in the province of Galatia, and uh, his his uh, mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. So it says uh, in verse two, which was well reported of by the brethren that was at Lystra and Iconium. So uh, so Timothy had a reputation and his reputation was a good reputation. Right. He was well spoken of uh, by the folks in that area. Uh, and so him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So we're not going to go into a lot of details about this. Um, uh, but in this case, uh, you know, of course, Paul spoke a lot uh, to the church at Galatia about being circumcised and why, you know, you don't have to be circumcised and why there was a lot of people in the church who were wanting to go back to the right of circumcision to prove that you're a Christian or to prove that you're a member of God's house. And Paul said, you know, you're going back to the old covenant. We don't go back to the old covenant. We always move forward where you stay in the new covenant. So why did Paul have? Timothy circumcised here. Well, it was really uh, as a practical matter because being a Jew, uh, Timothy was allowed to go into the temple with Paul, but only if he was circumcised. Whereas uh, uh, over in the book of Galatians, we had looked at when we studied the book of Galatians, he talked about Titus, who they tr tried to pressure to be circumcised. And Paul said, no, he's not going to be circumcised. And the reason why is because Titus was a Gentile. And circumcised or not, he wouldn't have been allowed to go into the temple. So there's no need for him to be circumcised. So this is just one of those cases where um, technically it's not necessary to be circumcised. But from a practical matter, to keep everybody happy, you know, uh, Timothy was circumcised. And so, you know, you can learn a little bit about that, about, you know, some things are really important and you shouldn't you shouldn't compromise on. But other things, you know, if you're doing it to accommodate somebody, you know, it may be okay as long as there's no compromise involved. Now, there was no compromise because Paul didn't say, well, we're going to circumcise Timothy so that he can show that uh, he's a member of God's household. It wasn't that at all. It was really he did that for the benefit of the Jews so they wouldn't have a reason to uh, fuss at Paul, although they always seem to find one anyway. Uh, but then he would legally be allowed to go into the temple along with Timothy there. So um, so that, you know, th there's a lot of folks who, uh, you know, they'll they'll pick some topic and they'll die on that hill of that topic and never, never waver about that. But, uh, you know, you've got to ask yourself, is that, uh, you know, what's the what's the deal? And so, uh, you, know, you know, why are you being so adamant about that thing that doesn't really amount to a hill of beans? Right. You know, because Paul says circumcision, uh, there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, uh, with, if you're circumcised, no problem. If you're uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Uh, and Paul talked a lot about that in the book of Galatians. Uh, and so since from Paul's heart, it didn't matter either way. So just for the benefit of the Jews, let's go ahead and do that. So there are things that, um, you know, in, in our church life where you have to find the grace uh, of what should I do, right? What should I do in this in this situation? You know, there are Christians who, you know, for example, won't eat at a restaurant that serves alcohol, right? Uh, and look, I got no problem with that. If that's what you want to do, you know, no problem at all. But from a standpoint of, well, if you're not going to consume alcohol, uh, what's the matter, right? Uh, now, are there restaurants that you just ought not go into because, you know, everything else about them would, would look like a dive? And uh, maybe, you know, there may be some restaurants that you just wouldn't go to at all, you know, depending on the circumstance. Uh, but... You know, if you're just going to go in and eat a hamburger, you know, what's it really matter? But there there would be Christians who would be so offended, you know, if they knew, oh, I can't believe that Christian went to that particular restaurant, you know. Uh, and from your perspective, you know, you're thinking, well, I didn't do anything. I just ate a cheeseburger, right? Uh, I mean, is there something wrong with cheese? I mean, you know, I like cheese right, myself, right? Uh, but um, so... Uh, of course, we're not we're not we're not giving us room to compromise our beliefs. Right. We're not giving room to to uh, wash over sin and act like it's not really sin. If it is sin, you know, there was no sin in what Paul did because Paul did it for no reason other than to benefit the Jews. You know, it had, it had no 
spiritual significance to him or to Timothy in either way. So that, you know, that, that's you know, and and the problem with with this verse is this is such an area that legalistic people just will just, you know, their minds will be blown from a verse like this because to them it's all black and white. Uh, and and you can never do that and you can never do that. And grace says, you know, I mean, you remember Jesus, how many times did he eat with the sinners, right? The unwashed and the unclean. Uh, and the Pharisees would never, ever do that. I mean, uh, with hang out with known sinners. I mean, there's no way. And it, Jesus never had a problem with it, right? Uh, and um, now, can they be your best friend? Well, they can't be your best friend because, you know, they don't share the same uh, blood as you do. They don't share the same life's goals as you do. But, you know, if you're going to witness to sinners, you kind of have to hang around them a little bit, right? Uh, and so, uh, so, uh, w- so what's the rule? Well, there's no rule. The rule is what's grace tell you to do, right? What does the grace of God, the love of God, the, the peace of God tell you to do? Uh, and um, uh, there was no sin in this, right? So Paul didn't say, you know, Paul went and took Timothy and robbed a bank because they were a little short on tithes that month, right? Uh, that would have been a violation of, of the scripture anyway, and you could have done that. But uh, so... Uh, all the legalistic people have a hard time with that particular verse. Uh, and the people of grace look at that and go, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense right there, right? Uh, and so, uh, and then you got people that are in extreme grace. Well, you can just do anything you want to, right? And well, then that's where you get yourself in trouble, right? So he, he had Timothy there, and they were circumcised. And it says in verse 4, and they went uh, through the cities and delivered them to the decrees for to keep that they were ordained, uh, that were ordained of the apostles and elders that were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in faith and increased in number daily. So when you, when you establish your church in faith, then it will increase, right? Uh, this is one of the verses uh, that I look at. You know, uh, people have all kinds of church growth uh, schemes and stuff and do different things. Uh, but really, you know, our primary purpose should be do things like what the Word says, which in this case is teach the, wor- teach the church faith. And, of course, uh, it says there's a, there's a fruit that, that abounds because of that. Uh, but then it says in verse 6, and I thought verse 6 was interesting here. Uh, it says, uh, and now uh, when they had gone throughout uh, uh, Phrygia uh, and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Uh, now, does it tell us any more details about it than that, just that right there? No details about it, right? It just said they were going to go into Asia, right? So go further uh, east from where they were, out of Europe and into Asia. Uh, and the Spirit of God said, uh, no, uh, don't do that. Uh, and so you have to leave it at that. Well, why not? You know, is he just against Asians? You know, does he not like people of, you know, a certain height or color or background or language? Or There's no bigotry at all in the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the gospel is for everybody. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, and so uh, so legalistic people, again, would take this verse and go, well, the spirit of God wouldn't have told me that because Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So I've got to go just wherever I want to go. But you've got to be led by the spirit in everything that you do. Right. Uh, you can't just just assume that it's God's will for you to be everywhere and do everything that you want to do. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of great examples like that. I think one of the one, one of the great examples was there. In. Uh, Acts chapter three, you remember it says so John, uh, uh, John and Peter, uh, Peter and John went up to the temple to pray, right? And uh, they passed the man at the gate, beautiful, at the temple. Well, where did Jesus preach a lot at? At the temple, they said this man was there for a long time at the gate, beautiful, uh, and yet uh, didn't Jesus pass by? I mean, maybe a hundred times. We don't know. I mean, a lot of times. Imagine though, that Jesus saw this man crippled, you know, at uh, at the gate beautiful and uh, one of the gates uh, of the temple. Surely Jesus saw him there. I mean, the guy was there all the time. Uh, then surely Jesus would have passed him by. Well, why didn't uh, Jesus heal him? But there was no unction to heal that person, right? Uh, but don't we know that healing is for everybody? Don't we, don't we know that Jesus, uh, God said that I am the Lord that healeth thee, right? I am Jehovah Rapha. So isn't healing available to all the covenant people of Israel? At this point in time, there were still the covenant people of Israel. Well, in Acts chapter 3 now, they were the church. Uh, but uh, isn't healing available for everybody? What well, is? Now, it's available for everybody who asks, for sure. But uh, if you don't ask, then it's up to the sovereignty of God. So 
well, well, you know, Jesus should have just healed him. Yeah, but the unction of the Spirit of God wasn't there to, to uh, act in a sovereign way on this man, on behalf of this man. Now, the man at any time could have always asked, right? And although he didn't ask for healing, he got a benefit that he didn't ask for in Acts chapter 3, right? So there's still a bit of a sovereignty, sovereign act there of the Lord to heal the man. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of things like that that people will take one scripture and they'll turn it into such a law that even the Holy Spirit can't speak to him. So it is true that Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But where should you go? I mean, you're literally a limited individual, right? So you obviously can't go into all the world. You know, you won't live long enough to go, on, especially back then, right? I mean, I'm going to go to Europe. Okay, well, that's three months of your life, just getting there, right? And then because there's no, no uh, public transportation, that sort of thing, you're going to be there a year or two years, right? You don't just go there and fly back, you know? I mean, it's magic nowadays, obviously, compared to how they traveled back then. But um, here, the Spirit of God specifically told them, don't go to Asia doesn't tell us why it doesn't really matter why if the spirit of god says don't go then you just don't go but uh you don't make a law well then god must not want to preach to asians well that's there's no there's no bigotry like that in the lord it's just that moment and that time wherever they were destined to go the spirit of god says i don't want you to go we don't know why maybe it had been danger maybe they weren't ready to receive the gospel right because the spirit of god is always working ahead of us to prepare the hearts of people as we go preach to them Maybe their hearts were so hardened to God that they didn't want to. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to dream up some some terrible thing. Maybe they're just awful people. It could just been not timing, right? Just the timing wasn't right for that. So you just leave, with no other details. You leave it alone. You don't make a law about it. Uh, and it says in verse seven. And when they were come to uh, Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the spirit suffered them not again. Uh, added that again part there. Uh, and so now. Uh, they were in one place. They were going to go to another city, uh, probably nearby. And again, the Spirit of God said, nope, don't go that way. But Lord, you said to go into all the world to preach God. I've got to go. Well, it is. That's true. The Lord did say that. But you've got to be careful about taking every single thing and turning into a law that says, because really the purpose of a law, when you turn something into a law, whatever, whether it's scripture or whether it's uh, um, you know, something that the Spirit of God spoke to you. When you turn that into law, what you're saying is, Lord, don't ever speak to me about this again. I'm going to do this thing, and that's the last I want to hear from you about it because uh, I'm going to just do this thing. I don't need any input from you. I don't need any direction from you. I'm just going to do it. Uh, and so, you know, you've got, you've got to be careful about those things, right, turning things into such a law. Uh, Jesus talked about that uh, when when he was talking about people helping their families uh, in, instead of tithing to the temple. Uh, and the, the, the uh, Pharisees said, you know, you've got to tithe because that's what the, what the law says. And so the, these, these children who were adults were working and not helping their parents because uh, they had to tithe. And so uh, Jesus said, you know, you, you, you're just wrong. You know, you, you missed the whole point of the law. And should you tithe? You should tithe. Now, does that give you an excuse to net? Well, then I don't ever have to tithe again. Well, you know, that's between you and the Lord anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, you should tithe. But at, at the end of the day, if, uh, you know, if you've got a family member that's in dire need of some emergency funds and, fi and finances, uh, could you take your tithe and give it to them? Well, I think it'd be okay, right? Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, in general, it does, doesn't the Word of God say go into all the world to preach the gospel? So that's a general rule. But what's the specific uh, will of God for you in this moment, right? So, now the nice thing is, in both of these cases, Paul obeyed the Spirit of God. Now, in, in another case, uh, I think it's over in First Thessalonians, it says that's, that they were going to go somewhere, but Satan hindered them. So, that's three cases where they had planned to go somewhere and were unable to go. Two of those places were places that the Spirit of God said don't go. One place was uh, where they wanted to go and desired to go, and as far as I knew, it was the will of God for them to go, but then Satan hindered them. Now, we don't know, again, the details of how that transpired. We don't know if it was, you know, all the camels got sick or something all of a sudden, or all the boats sunk, you know, in the harbor. We don't know what, what the uh, method that Satan hindered them from going, but, um, uh, and that was the great apostle Paul. You think if anybody could have the authority to, to do that, that Paul would, would be able to overcome that. But, you know, sometimes uh, if there are other people involved, he may, ha may have needed some 
uh, approval from a magistrate to go into that city or, you know, some official. And they just did. They were hard hearted towards God and didn't want to help out. Well, that would be Satan hindering you. Right. Uh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher of God. I'm going to go anyway. Well, uh, then get shot or die. Or, you know, back then they would just bury you and you'd never be heard from again. Uh, and so. So, again, you know, uh, uh, now a lot of people would look at that like the story in First Thessalonians and say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will for us to go. You know, they, they were going to go and the plane got canceled, right? The boat got canceled, the Campbells got canceled, whatever it was. And uh, how many times would people say, I guess it wasn't God's will for you to go. And yet it said that uh, Satan hindered them, right? Uh, and uh, in these two cases that we're reading here in Acts 16, was it the will of God for them to go? No, but how did they find out that it wasn't the will of God for them to go? It says the Spirit of God spoke to them, right? It said the Spirit of God forbade them or suffered them. So somehow the Spirit of God got it across to them that they shouldn't go. So it wasn't an assumption based upon their inability to go that maybe it wasn't God's will to go. They were directed by the Spirit of God to not go. So that, that you know, we live in the New Testament as people of faith. And so we don't look at a circumstance and assume that that's God's will if that happened, right? Because you don't know. We've got three cases here where they couldn't go somewhere they desired to go. And two of the cases, the Spirit of God said, don't go. One case, uh, Satan hindered them. So can you make a general rule that if you're trying to go somewhere and you can't go there, that then therefore it's the will of God that you shouldn't have gone? No. And yet how many Christians will do that, right? I wanted to go. I couldn't go. God must have not wanted me to go. But, but I thought we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. I thought the Spirit of God would lead us and guide us in all truth and show us things to come. And so uh, just just try to remove those phrases out of your vocabulary and try to be a person who's led by the Holy Spirit and do things uh, by knowledge instead of doing things by assumption. Right. We, we don't go because we know that it's the Spirit of God's desire for us not to go or, or we do go because we know it's the Spirit of God's desire for us not to go. Uh, and then. And just also know that if it's the Spirit of God's desire for you to go, there's still a chance you can't go, right? If other people are involved, those other people may not uh, allow you to go, right, for whatever reason. Uh, and, um, in fact, when we, were, when we went to Nigeria uh, on one of the trips, uh, we landed in Nigeria. And the first thing they say is we need to see your, uh, your medical card, right? So you have to have a medical card with all your required shots on it before you can get in there malaria and different things and and so i whipped mine out because you know i'm the a student and i pulled it out there uh, and uh, here's my yellow card right and they asked for chris where hers was she said well it's at home where it should be right uh, and so the lady that was talking to us was said well you can go into the country and you can't and i said well honey i'll see you in a week right and, and left her at the airport right um, no uh, so we had to wait and and so i said well we're missionaries you know we'd like to be able to go in, into the country. We know you can't go. Uh, and so now I know some Christians, they get in a situation that and they and the fight comes out. Well, we're going to go anyway. Well, these people are in charge, not you. Right. Uh, and number one, they're not your enemy. Number two, they're just doing their job. Right. They were told if they don't have the yellow card, they can't come in because, you know, you don't want a bunch of diseased people coming into your country and spreading more disease. Right. Uh, and since it's your country, you can decide. Uh, and so. Uh, so we just, well, well, is there someone else that we could speak to about that? Well, I'll go see. Uh, and, uh, but she was adamant, right? She was like, you know, you know you're all going to get through. And so, um, so this fella comes up then and, and says, uh, uh, he, he's talking to Chris. He said, are you a minister? And she said, no, he is. Now, she didn't know why he wanted to know, you know, like, if you're a minister, I'm going to throw you in jail, right? So I don't know if she was just planning on, uh, I don't know if she's like thinking, well, I'm going to throw him under the bus, right? Yeah, well, he, you know, he's guilty, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. She didn't say, right? So now, I mean, now she's acting all innocent, right? But who knows what was in her heart at that time, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, God knows, right? And I'm sure he does. So, and, and <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, he's a minister. Uh, and, he, uh, and, he, and he looked at me, he says, uh, will you pray for me? I said, sure, you want me to pray for you right now? Yeah. And so I laid hands on him right there in the airport, prayed God's blessing upon his life. Uh, and uh, we got done. He said, okay, you can go in. Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, in that moment, Satan was trying to hinder us for not going. Right. But, you know, the grace of God, the mercy of God was there uh, to find the right person. Right. Because sometimes there is a right person to speak to and a wrong person to speak to. Uh, and so. Um, so I didn't I didn't just 
you know, a lot of times people would get some kind of resistance and just roll over. Well, uh, we can't go in. I guess it's God's will for us to not go. But we knew it was God's will for us to go. So we're going to push it as far as we can, right? We're not going to just roll over and just say, well, you know, uh, I, I guess we shouldn't go. Um, imagine Paul probably did the same thing in First Thessalonians there. Uh, but uh, we were on another missionary trip, and uh, we went to the airport, and uh, this was a big group of us on that trip, and uh, Chris didn't go on that particular one, and so, um, uh, so they have a, a weight, weight limit on your luggage, right? And so, you know, you can't just pack 300 pounds in your luggage because the folks have to pick it up, right? They got to pick it up, put it on the belts, and get it to the carts and get it to the airplane and all that. Uh, and so they have a weight limit there, and if you're over the limit, then you either take stuff out or you pay extra. Well, I think everybody on the flight was over the weight limit, and part of the reason was because we typically take a lot of food and a lot of extra clothes, and we just leave stuff there for the people uh, wh when we leave uh, when we leave the city there or leave the country, and we fly back home. And th you know, that way we can be a blessing to them, things that they can take advantage of. So the the lady in charge of checking us in said everybody's got to pay like $150 extra in baggage fees, right? Well, you know, everybody doesn't have an extra $150. You've saved up for a year, maybe years to go on this trip, right? And $150, you know, is, is real money. Uh, and so uh, now I didn't say anything because I wasn't in charge, right? It really wasn't my trip. I was just there. My pastor was there. But the kind of the guy that was leading up the trip, you know, he, he, he puffed up. Well, we're ministers of the God. We're going anyway. And the lady's like, well, no, you're not. And he said, oh, yes, we are. And she's like, oh, you know. There's a big black lady at the airport in Atlanta. And, you know, I started a pool. I put money down on the lady, right? I'm like, I think she can take him, right? I'm pretty sure she can take him. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and so <laughs> after a while, you know, she wasn't backing down. And, of course, he tried not to back down. But, you know, uh, uh, he eventually backed down, and, and his feathers fell, and he kind of went went back to his seat, right? So now we're stuck, right? Everybody's got to pay $150. And, uh, and uh, you know, I learned a long time ago, I don't have to do anything, not my, not, you know, not my uh, trip. I'm not in charge of anything. Uh, I'm not going to usurp any position or any authority here. You know, I'll just wait and see. Uh, but, you know, I had learned by that time, I always watched my pastor. Uh, and, uh, and I could see out of the corner of his eye, he because we were all sitting on the same row, right? And, and so he leaned forward. And he kind of gave me the nod. That's all, that, you know, he didn't have to tell me anything. just kind of gave me the nod. Hey, you go take care of this. So uh, I got up and, and uh, went and talked to the lady and said, uh, um, I understand that uh, we're going to have to pay all these fees. Oh, yeah, you got to pay all these fees. So, well, is there, is there someone else that we could talk to about that and see if there's some different options? Well, you can talk to my supervisor. She's downstairs and, you know, so-and-so go over that way. And, and um, you know, uh, she's not my enemy, right? Uh, and so, so I went downstairs, found the supervisor, found the lady, and I explained the situation. You know, we're missionaries heading to Nigeria. Uh, actually, we're heading to uh, Zimbabwe on that particular trip. And um, uh, we're all overweight. Uh, not individually, our luggage is overweight, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, I wasn't confessing anything at that time. But all of our luggage is over, over the limit there. And... Um, you know, could we get an exemption for this trip? Because when we come back, we're going to leave all that stuff there, and none of us will will have luggage that's over over the limit, right? We'll all come back, and our luggage will be fine. And so, can we get a a uh, free pass on the trip over there? And she said, "Sure, no problem." She wrote some scribble on a on a piece of paper and uh, just say, "Give this to the lady to check in, and and all will be well." And everything was fine, right? Uh, and so, you know, in in those cases. You've got to you've got to find the balance of what's the uh, number one, the most important thing always is what's the will of God. Uh, if you know that, everything else is fine, right? So you know it's the will of God for you to go on this trip, so you go. Now there's opposition, right? The lady wanted this charge this extra money. Some of the people probably wouldn't have been able to go if they had to pay that extra money, right? They would have had they would have lost uh, that opportunity to go on that trip. Uh, so there's resistance, and and. Uh, you know, are you breathing air? There's going to be resistance to you following the will of God, right? Uh, and so you've got to find the path, you know, how far do you, do you push this? Because at some point, the Spirit of God may say, let it go, right? Uh, and, and even though it's not his will, he may tell you, to just like he did with First Thessalonians and Paul going, going wherever he was going, 
the, uh, Satan hindered him. So at some point, the Spirit of God had just got to leave it alone. But see, uh, uh, Paul still gets credit for that. And, and, but those people that missed out on the opportunity to hear Paul, you know, they may stand before the Lord someday and having missed heaven and say, well, you never sent the, you know, any, any missionaries to us. And the Lord say, I sent that man right over there to you. And you rejected him before he ever got there. And so, you know, sometimes the Lord knows that the end result will not be accomplished, but he still sends them anyway, right? Remember when Jesus went to his own hometown there in, in, in uh, the book of Mark, and it says he could there do no mighty works. So the Lord sent him there, and yet he was completely hindered in doing the things that he normally did, which was to pray for the sick, right? He could do there no mighty works, uh, except he laid his hands on a few sick folks or sickly folks. Uh, and so... Uh, apparently, Jesus missed God by by going to his own hometown, right? Because uh, the way people measure success is how many people got saved, how many people uh, got healed. Uh, and if the answer was, well, no one did, no, nothing major, right? Oh, well, then it must have not been God's will to go. But was it God's will for him to go there? Well, I, I mean, you can assume that everything Jesus did was a perfect will of God because he came to be an expression of the will of God. Uh, and so, so... Uh, all of that, then uh, Paul was obedient to uh, to follow the direction of the Spirit of God and not go to those places. Uh, and so, but did he stop and say, well, I'm just not going to do anything? No, it says in verse 8, and they passed uh, by Mysia and came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there, a man, uh, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after we had seen the vision immediately. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Uh, and so. So Macedonia was kind of like Galatia. It was the region where uh, the city of Philippi was located. Right. So Macedonia was like a state or a county. They went to Macedonia and in that city or region or in that region or state was the city of Philippi. So that's how they ended up at Philippi was Paul had a vision. And it wasn't uh, the spirit of God. It was the vision of a man, you know, and and, may, and, and it says the man stood uh, praying, uh, prayed him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So how that worked, you know, I don't know, you know, the, uh, and you have to be a little careful about verses like this, because this is the only verse uh, where this was like this, where you saw someone, somebody other than the spirit of God speaking to them. Right. Uh, at least in the New Testament there. Uh, and so. Can you get all kinds of squirrely uh, doctrine out of this thing? You probably could, right? Uh, but it was a vision, uh, and Paul knew it to be the Lord. And so uh, so uh, they endeavored to go. Now, I believe if they had not been obedient to not go into those other two places, that the Lord would not have granted them this vision to know where they should have gone. If they said, well, you know, we're called to preach, we're just going to go. Well, then they would have missed their window to go to, to Philippi, right? And then we would not have had the book of Philippians there. So... So this is that's how Paul ended up going to uh, Philippi was a vision. Uh, the spirit of God spoke to him or he gave him a vision to see uh, the desire of this people in this area. Uh, and so, you know, for us, that bodes well that, hey, then we can pray, Lord, uh, send your spirit to us. Send us your help. Send the people that we need. Uh, and uh, God will speak to them. Right. God will speak to ministers to come to this church. God will speak to people to come to this church. Uh, and so. You know, it, it's good to see that example of the Lord uh, moving on behalf of the folks at Philippi. So uh, it was about um, uh, 50, uh, 51 A.D. when Paul went there the first time. Uh, and then it was a few years later in, in A.D. Uh, 55 uh, that um, uh, Paul went there the second time, which was his third overall missionary journey. So, you know, when Paul went on a missionary journey, he would be gone for Years at a time, right? He said, Honey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on my trip. When are you gonna be back? Uh, 2025. You know, see you soon, right? Uh, and so he made a lot of round trips and these things, and went to a, a, lots of places. And we don't really have stories of every single place that he went to, but uh, we do have a lot of lot of the a lot of the details. Uh, and so sometime after that, so about uh, seven years after his second trip to Philippi, then he wrote them a letter. And so he had known them, I guess, let's see, for about uh, 11 years or so. 
uh, 11 years from the time that he was first called to go to the time that he wrote the book. So he had known them for 11 years, and in that time, they had been a blessing to his ministry. So uh, he was writing him a letter and just telling him, uh, thank you for, for doing that, right? Uh, and so, um, so that, uh, I thought that was a pretty good um, summary of that. And, and we're not going to go into all the details. I'll just give you some of these notes just uh, in case you want to write any notes. But when uh, there's some details here about the Paul's trip to uh, Philippi, and that really starts here in Acts chapter uh, 16 and verse 9, and it goes all the way down to, uh, to the end of that chapter. So, and of course, we know uh, that during that time that, uh, uh, in fact, I guess it'd be okay to read a little bit of that. Um, let's start out in, um, uh, in verse 16 there of Acts chapter 16. So he's in Philippi. He's done some work there already. And uh, now in verse 16, it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, that a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, uh, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Uh, and telling fortunes, right? Uh, and so uh, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, uh, you know, you can learn a lot about these things. Number one is... Uh, you know, this this woman was not a Christian, right? She was not somebody that was glorifying God. She was annoying Paul, right? She was doing it uh, out of spite, you know. Uh, and so it wasn't there to, to build them up. It was there to annoy them. Uh, and so why didn't Paul deal with her on the first day? He didn't have an unction to deal with her on the first day, right? Why didn't, why didn't uh, he deal with her on the second day? He didn't have an unction to deal with her on the second day. But uh, she kept on. And he got grieved, and finally he spoke to the Spirit. Uh, now, um, there, there, there is a general understanding in, in the, uh, at least in the Pentecostal world, about dealing with devils and people, is that you can't cast the devil out of somebody that doesn't want the devil to be gone. And that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of a general rule, but um, uh, that's not an absolute rule because there was no indication that this woman wanted this devil gone from her. Uh, and so, but, but Paul cast the devil out of her anyway. Uh, so uh, why did he do that? Well, in this case, because she was hindering his work, right? As a, as a minister, she was hindering, hindering his work. And so he cast the devil out of her. So, you know, from my perspective, you know, to me, that's not a hard, fast rule. I think what's, what's uh, a little bit more wisdom is that you should not cast a devil out of somebody who doesn't want the devil cast out of him. Because, you know, uh, just real quick, turn over to, um, we'll come back here to, to chapter 16, turn over to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll get a little bit of understanding about that. Uh, and so, over in, in Matthew chapter 12, we'll get over there eventually. In, in, um, in Matthew chapter 12, it says, um, in verse 43, it says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Now, it doesn't tell us uh, how uh, this unclean spirit left this person, right? doesn't say that they desired to get rid of them. doesn't say they wanted to get rid of them. doesn't say, you know, anything about that. It just says when they leave, right, when this unclean spirit goes out of a man, he walketh through dry places. Now, he is a spirit, right? The spirit walks through dry places. Uh, uh, seeking rest and finding none. Then saith he, the spirit, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Uh, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the, la the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. So uh, in this particular case, um, the end result of the person who had the devil cast out of him was worse than they were if you left the devil alone to begin with. Uh, and that's really the, wi that's the wisdom of that, right? So you don't go just cast the devil out of somebody because in general you've got authority over all spirits, right? Now you don't have the authority over the spirits of a person, but you've got the authority over, over demonic spirits. So if that person wants that spirit, you know, if, you, if there's an unction, you could cast that spirit out of him, 
but then you're going to leave that person worse off than when you met them because that spirit's going to leave them, uh, not find another home, and they're going to come back because the person is well, welcoming them back, right? They want them back. They didn't want them to go in to begin with, so they welcome that same evil spirit to come back into their life, and he brings along with seven more spirits, even more wicked than himself. So if you just left that man alone, he, yeah, he would have been possessed with the devil, but now he's possessed with eight devils, right? Uh, and eight devils is, is eight times worse than one devil, right? Uh, so uh, you've got to be careful in these things. You know, uh, you, you, you do have authority. And if that devil is causing you hindrance, doesn't matter if they want to keep it or get rid of it. You know, you can cast it out. But you have to understand that if you do that, you know, this lady here, she could have ended up worse off than she was to begin with. But she was an enemy of, of Paul's ministry and hindrance to the, to the message of the Lord. And uh, all of that's on her, right? It's not on Paul. It's on her. Uh, so, so now we can go back to, uh, to uh, Acts chapter 6. Now, that, they did that in Philippi, right? That was in, in uh, Philippi where they cast uh, this devil out of this woman here. Uh, and so it says that it came out that self-same hour or that same hour in verse 18. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and he brought them unto the magistrate saying these men being jews do exceedingly trouble our city well they hadn't done that and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe being romans and that really wasn't true there but they're just making up stuff of course and the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them and when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison charging the jailer to keep them safely uh and so so we know the rest of the story there about the jailer got saved. You know, Paul and Silas are singing at midnight. Uh, they're singing at midnight in jail, right? Uh, and so they finally get released from the prison there. So that was their first trip to Philippi. Pretty successful, right? They go and preach a little bit, get thrown in jail, get beat, right? And, and, get, uh, uh, and they, they try to get rid of them out of jail, right? Uh, so uh, that was their, their first, uh, first uh, trip to uh, uh, Philippi. And then over in Acts chapter 20, same book there then. Uh, and we don't have any other details there except down in um, uh, verse uh, 6 here. It says, and we sailed away from Philippi after, after the days of unleavened bread. So those are those two trips to uh, Philippi uh, where Paul had gone um, in, into uh, into that area there. So uh, so that's just a, a little bit of a, a background on um, the book of uh, Philippians there. And, of course, um, um, now we fast forward to the actual book. So Paul had visited this city twice, uh, and it's been 11 years now. He's now in the Roman prison. Uh, so he's made the whole circuit, right? He went to Philippi, and then, uh, he, then he finally went back down to Jerusalem, and they captured him in Jerusalem, and then uh, now they're shipping him back to Rome uh, to stand trial. Uh, and so it's been 11 years. And so during that time that the uh, uh, church at Philippi uh, had uh, helped him, right, had a system in the ministry, provided funds for him and different things. Uh, and so uh, out, of, out of the kindness of his heart and the appreciation for the work that they had provided for him, uh, he decided to write them a letter. And so we get the benefit from that. So the first chapter... Uh, and really, Philippians has a lot to say about suffering and, and the things that uh, he did uh, uh, as a missionary there. So I want to spend a little time talking about just suffering in general as a Christian, because we're going we to gotta talk about that in the context of the whole chapter or the whole book of Philippians. Uh, but I think it'd be helpful to go and look at, you know, suffering as a Christian. And what does that really mean? Because, you know, I meet a lot of people, and I'm sure you do, too, who, you know, act like they're suffering for the Lord and you, you ask them questions, you find out, well, you know, uh, you're in jail. Yeah, I'm suffering for the Lord. Well, how'd you get in jail? Well, I robbed a bank. Well, that's not really suffering for the Lord, right? That's, that's you robbed a bank, right? That's not, but a lot of people, you know, well, you know, I'm sick and suffering for the Lord. Well, how'd you get sick? Well, you know, I, I, I ate, uh, you know, three boxes of donuts every day for a year, right? Well, that's not really suffering for the Lord. That's suffering uh, by allowing your flesh to run your life, right? So, there's a lot of uh, suffering, and, and a lot of times in sickness and disease, people will act like they're suffering for the Lord. Uh, and, you know, I, I've always thought that was odd because the Bible has a lot to say about suffering, especially in the New Testament. 
And seems like we should kind of follow what the Bible says and see if what we're suffering is uh, for the benefit of the Lord or in his will. And if it's not, why would we stay there, right? Why, why would we stay in suffering if it's not God's will for us to be there? Uh, and really, you know, in general, it's never God's will that any of us suffer, uh, suffer at all. But sometimes in doing the will of God, you will suffer, right? Because um, I, I know just for, for, my own, for my own life there, you know, you've heard some of the stories that I've told you about uh, when I was with my pastor for many years, a lot of suffering that I went through there. And, and years after all that, after he passed, and, you know, I was just kind of talking to the Lord about that. You know, Lord, Lord uh, why did you have me go there? Because, you know, he, does he know the end from the beginning? He knows what you're going to go through, right? Uh, why would he send you there knowing that you're going to suffer, right? Uh, and, you know, see, some people think, well, I'm a martyr. I just have to suffer. That's, you know, that's, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's not the suffering in itself. Uh, and, and the Lord showed me uh, the answer. He said, I sent you there. Uh, because uh, I love them and I desired them to have the opportunity to repent. And he said, you were willing to stay the whole time to give them as long an opportunity to repent as they could. So, now I suffered, but I didn't suffer because I was doing wrong. I didn't suffer because I was a terrible person. I suffered because God loved that person over there. And if you're going to suffer, that's why you would suffer, is because God loves somebody else. Not that he doesn't love you, but he loves that person and he wants you to go and help them. And sometimes, I mean, you ever tried to go help somebody and they slam a door in your face or cuss you out or say bad things about your mama. And, but you know, in your heart, oh Lord, I'm just trying to help. And then you just, sometimes you even feel bad. Lord, you know, did I do something wrong? Well, you know, sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. The Lord wanted you to go there because some, because number one, he loves them. And number two, he's a just God. And in the sense that, He's always going to give everybody an opportunity to repent and to get to know him. And you may be the vessel that he sends to go to that person to give them that, that opportunity. And they may choose to reject that opportunity. They may choose to, you know, um, uh, to, to uh, not yield to that opportunity. Remember when Jesus taught, told the disciples, he said, you're going to stand before kings and governors as a testimony against them. So sometimes you're going to send you, send you to important people in, with important positions to, so that they can never say, Lord, you never told us about the gospel. Because he, he knows in, in that context of, the, of that story when Jesus was saying that, he knows they're not going to receive you, but as a just God, he's going to make sure they have the opportunity, a free opportunity to reject him, which sounds kind of odd, but, but because, number one, he loves him, and number two, he's just and fair. Because if it was me and you, it would be like, I ain't sending him. I ain't going over there, you know, just die in their sins, right? Pull a Jonah, right? I hope they all die, right? Uh, you know, we're not going to uh, have that attitude. If the Lord says to go, then we go. And if we're completely unsuccessful uh, as far as the people receiving you, you still got to go, right? So uh, the, the suffering is, it's not the will of God that you suffer. It's the will of God that you do whatever God asks you to do. But in order to accomplish that will, you may have to suffer to get the job done. So you know, sometimes people say, and even many writers will say, that it's the will of God for you to suffer. That's not really, that, that sounds like God just, you know, I want them to suffer. Get some stripes, you know, get thrown in prison, get hungry for a while. Uh, that's what I want. Not really, he, that's not what he wants. He wants you to go and help those people, but to help them, uh, to give them a shot, you may have to go through some woman filled with the devil, right? You may have to go through the jail to help them. You may have to do a lot of things to help them, right? Uh, and, um, uh, and of course, we're going to look at some other things, too, as, as we go along. We, uh, I don't know how far we'll get to it tonight, but, um, you know, uh, I, and I hear stories. I remember uh, one time years ago, we were in a church conference, and, and they had a Q&A uh, time, right, and ask questions. And uh, so they had all of us uh, ministers up in the front there, and they were going to ask questions. So, so someone uh, once said, uh, asked a question, well, do you think all the suffering that Joseph went through? Now, remember, Joseph did a lot of suffering, right? Thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, Potiphar's house, uh, accused of, uh, of harming the wife, which he didn't do, thrown in jail, forgotten by the jailer, right? Forgotten by everybody. Finally, he ended up as the governor of Egypt, right? But it was a very long path to get there. And so uh, some people are of the opinion that Joseph became who he was because of the things which he suffered, right? But you got to back up. Well, how did he start suffering? 
well, what was the what was the first reason why Joseph suffered? What did he do? You remember the story, right? Bragging about the dreams he had, right? Remember the Lord showed him a dream, right, where the stars are going to bow down before him and talking about his family and 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 the wheat and stuff, you know, bound down to him. And now, uh, who gave uh, Joseph those dreams? Well, God did, right? Uh, did God also tell him to go share those dreams with his family? No. Did God tell him to go be in pride about his dreams to his family? Because how do you think your family's going to receive you? You're not the oldest, right? You're one, one, not the youngest, but one of the youngest ones. Uh, and you go, hey, are you going to serve me something? How do you think they're going to receive that? Because, you know, back then it's pecking order, right? If you're the firstborn, you're in charge, right? Everybody else is second fiddle. Uh, and here he is, some nobody, right? Some middle, middle child, right? Middle child always the worst, right? Uh, and so some middle child saying, all you all going to serve me? I don't think so, right? So did the Lord tell him to do that? No. What was the consequences of him doing something that was, I mean, clearly not the will of God to brag about some dream? He got thrown in a pit. Well, from that point for years, right, then he suffered, right, because he was there and he's there and in jail and all these things in different places. So I don't know how many years it was, but it's a long time from the time that he first got the dream until the time he sat on the throne next to Pharaoh. Now, of course, uh, is the Lord merciful? He is merciful, right? And, and so we thank God for his mercy. But I don't believe for a second that anything that Joseph suffered from the time that he got his first dream and until the time he sat on the, the throne next to Pharaoh, that any of that was by the direction of the Spirit of God. That the Lord, in spite of Joseph, still got him to where he needed to be. But Joseph, you know, how many times, did, did, remember when Naaman, uh, the Syrian, was, uh, was leprous and, and uh, uh, there was a, a, a slave girl there from the nation of Israel? And she said, would that would that my master knew prophets here in Syria like they have in in Egypt or in Israel uh, for then you'd be healed. Uh, so how did how did Naaman hear about Elisha? Through word of mouth, right? The woman testified about uh, this prophet of the most high God. Uh, and so so uh, did did uh, uh, Elisha have to go to prison to to help Naaman? Did Elisha have to be accused of, of uh, harming Potiphar's wife uh, be to, before he could help Naaman? Did he have to get thrown in a pit and, and uh, said that he was dead before he could help uh, Naaman? No, he helped Naaman because the Lord made sure he got the information to Naaman about this man of God that could help him. And I can guarantee you if Joseph had not said anything and just kept tending to the sheep, minding his own business, that the Lord would have found a way to get him to Egypt uh, because e it was necessary to go to Egypt because otherwise they would all died, right? They were all starving, and Egypt had food, and, uh, and Egypt had the capacity to lay out all that food, save food up for seven years. No other country could do that. They weren't as capable of Egypt. So the Lord did all that on, on Egypt's benefit to protect the people of God. Uh, and so Joseph, he, he didn't suffer. I don't believe for a second he ever suffered anything that he suffered by the design of God. He did it, and, and God got him to where he needed to be in spite of his own actions, right? And so, um, uh, you know, in that, you know, sometimes people suffer, and they're like, oh, I'm just a martyr for God. And you pull back the curtains and you go, weren't you just bragging a few minutes ago about how wonderful you were and trying to obtain glory for yourself? How is that God, right? And, well, you know, it's God, you know, and it's not really God. That doesn't mean that you're a terrible person in the sense that you're no count and unworthy or uh, can't be used of God. Uh, but in spite of his failings, uh, Joseph was, uh, was had some suffering to do, right? So in that case, it wasn't the will of God. But in this case, who sent uh, Paul to Philippi? The Spirit of God did, right? By the vision. So they went there by the Spirit of God, and they end up in jail. And then some people have an attitude. Well, see what thanks I get for following God. You ever seen people have an attitude about that? Well, it's, you know, then I'm never helping anybody ever again, right? You ever try to help somebody and you get the door slammed in your face? Well, then I'm never helping anybody again. Well, how do you know that that, that wasn't the whole, that God knew that? He knew that, you know, when you go to try to help them, they'll slam the door in your face and may throw you in prison. Well, then I'm never helping anybody ever again, right? Uh, in, in fact, uh, we're in Acts uh, 20. Uh, turn back over to Acts chapter 18. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so here in, um, in, in Acts 18, it says in verse 4, uh, this is Paul preaching uh, in the, the, one of the synagogues there, 
and I don't I think they're in Corinth maybe. Uh, he it says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks and Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia. So they were come from the area of Philippi. Right. They, uh, and uh, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So. Uh, he said uh, here that he was pressed in the spirit. So sometimes there's a there's a strong unction to do something right. There's a, a pressing from this. You've got to speak. You've got to say these things. And so he did. Uh, so he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go to the Gentiles. Uh, and so what Paul say, I'm done. Well, it was that the will of God. Uh, you know, I'm not speaking to you all anymore. And it says, verse seven, and he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing and believed, were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night in a vision. Be not afraid, but what? Speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. No man shall get uh, set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So Paul said, I ain't speaking to you no more. What the Lord tell him to do? Uh, I didn't tell you to quit speaking. You got to keep speaking, right? So you ever had that, that attitude? I'm not doing this no more. And the Lord may be like, uh, yes, you are. I ain't, I ain't released you from this assignment. You go back. Right. And he stayed. It says he stayed there in the city. Right. Six more months. So. Uh, what I have found is anytime you make a rash decision, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Right. Uh, Elijah did it. Right. Uh, Lord, I'm the only one serving you. Nobody else is as wonderful as I am. Uh, and uh, the Lord said, how many were uh, had not bowed their knee to Baal? Seven thousand, right? That's a lot of people to hide. Uh, and so uh, Elijah did it. Uh, Paul didn't learn from Elijah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not speaking to you ever again. And the Lord said, uh, yeah, you are. I need you to do that, right? So the suffering, it's, it's not the intention that the Lord uh, desires for you to suffer. It's that he needs you to do things and uh, because you're doing things for the will of God, there may be suffering involved. Does that make sense? You know, to me, that makes sense uh, because I, it should be hard for me to go. Lord's up in heaven going, yeah, I want them to suffer. You ever desire that for your children? You know, I want them to make their bed hard you know, and lie in it. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, that's just uh, kind of absurd. Right. So. So we, I want to go through some scriptures then talk about suffering and what the Bible, the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. Uh, in the New Testament, so I think it'd be helpful to go through that uh, to kind of lay the foundation of of uh, even though Paul's in jail right now as he's writing the book of Philippians, uh, it's not that the Lord needed him to go to jail to suffer; it's he's in jail and suffering as a consequence of doing the will of God. Yeah, and so be careful about if you ever end up suffering uh, in the will of God. That number one, it is the will of God. Number two that you don't have a negative reaction and say, well, I'm never doing this again because uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble, right? Uh, and so uh, I like what uh, Dr. Dufresne always said. It's always been, been a good phrase that I like. He said, always do the will of God. He said, and leave the consequences of following his will with him. So if the consequence you, goes that you go to jail, right, then uh, you got to leave it with him. And there's some pastor, if you follow this or not, up in Canada, He's uh, he's like a Polish fella. Uh, and so he's seen, you know, he's uh, older. And so he's seen all the communism and all the stuff over in Europe. Uh, and uh, his uh, his family had gone through Nazi Germany or gone through the, the, the German invasion of Poland. And so he saw that stuff. And so he's just mad at these Canadian uh, uh, Mounties, these Canadian uh, magistrates that are demanding that they, you know, interrupt uh, to be allowed to interrupt church services. Right. To check on covid things and. Uh, you know, they can't do it before service or after. They got right in the middle of service. They walk in the church, you know, and you've got your hands raised up to the Lord. And, and uh, we want to count, you know, masks or we want to check, you know, measure how far you are from each other. Uh, and uh, that's completely disrespectful to the spirit of God. Right. And so he's just like, get out of here, you bunch of Nazis. You call them Nazis and jackboots and thugs. And, and uh, you know, he doesn't care. You know, you get older, you don't care. You know, whatever, you know, a bunch of, bunch of uh, crazy people there. And so they keep arresting him. But, you know. Uh, I, I have no, no problem with, with uh, uh, doing the will of God. You know, if somebody walked in from some government official and wanted to disrupt the service, it's like, no, 
You can do it. You can uh, make an appointment with my secretary, and I'll be glad to see you six months from next Tuesday, right, at, at 1 o'clock, but not before. Uh, and um, because, you know, we are the children of the Most High God, right? And you can't just uh, come and interrupt the Spirit of God. That would be disrespectful to the Spirit of God. So, uh, so he's suffering, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's really making the whole government look bad because he's just a little old man, right, to trying to just have a church service. And they interrupted him on, on um, Passover Day, right, and having a big Easter celebration. And, uh, and they interrupt the service. It's like, that's just disrespectful, you know. Uh, and, of course, they don't have the First Amendment like we do, so they, they think they have the right to do those things. And so, you know, to me, it's only about the church there, right? All the other COVID stuff, you know, that's, that's just uh, whatever it is, right? But um, so, unfortunately, he is suffering. So we'll talk some, things, some about these things there and get some good insight about these things. And, and then, then we'll get into the actual uh, book of Philippians and, and find out what Paul, why Paul was so thankful to these people. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for uh, blessing us and speaking to us. And, Father, we thank you as we uh, take this journey uh, through one of your books that you've uh, written for our benefit, that you'll grant us revelation, insight, and, and show us how to apply these truths to our life. And so we thank you for that. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. And so... Uh, I think we'll en enjoy the book of Philippians. There's, there's a lot of unique things in this book that uh, Paul doesn't cover really anywhere else. And so um, uh, it's just a good book. Uh, we'll see if we, get, uh, uh, if we get done with Philippians, if we'll go into Colossians or not. But, uh, um, but all the scriptures, all the books of the Bible have got good information. Amen. Well, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And um, so don't forget, uh, Friday night we have our um, uh, prayer service at 7 p.m. here at the church. And so um, we'll uh, um, see what the Lord would have us to pray about. Amen. Uh, and then um, uh, a week from Sunday, then, will be our next church meal. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, be blessed. Have a wonderful week, and, and we'll see you later. Right.